you guys inspire me. I'm so encouraged by that. Um, Sonia, I'm so encouraged by, by those words. Uh, but you guys inspire me. I do this for you. Um, I do this to inspire you. And so that, that encourages me. And I'm inspired by you and your response and your prayers and everything that you guys, um, have done for me as well. Um, I'm always in need of encouragement as well. So it's always great to be encouraged, um, in what we're doing together. If you guys notice, we are on a little bit earlier than usual. If you can't go ahead and get yourself situated, we're going to be in Second Samuel. Uh, I believe we're in, yeah, we're in Second Samuel chapter 19. So we're in Second Samuel chapter 19 today. Um, I want you guys to go ahead and get settled, get situated as we get going. Um, before we get started again, I want to thank all of my patrons, all of you who are supporting. Uh, thank you so much for your support, for your contribution. If you are interested in becoming a patron, just click the link in the bio and you can learn and you can click the, the first link in that link and you'll be able to see how you can become a patron as well and just support what we're doing as we move forward. I'm looking for, I think we're getting closer to our goal of having monthly Bible studies. I know this isn't Bible study itself, but I am looking forward to that. I'm really excited about carving out the time to be able to do that and to spend more time in, in, um, in just spending in, in, in a deeper level of teaching of scripture. But today what we're doing is the read and rant. If you are here for the first time, you may not know exactly what this is. Um, if you are here for the first time, what we do here is, is we spend time in the reading of the word. Uh, we just read and then I rant. <laughs> um, I just spend some time in reflection of the word. This is a meditational reading that we do every morning. And essentially all we're here to do is, is we're here to just commit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, to ask the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us in what the scriptures are revealing to us today. So this is not a Bible study, but it's more to hear what God is saying to us today in regards to the scripture. This is my regular habit. Um, and about a few months, well, almost a little over a year ago now, a little over a year ago, I gave you guys an opportunity to eavesdrop on uh, my time in meditational reading every morning. And so it's been a powerful endeavor. And I'm so happy to hear that many of you have been profoundly uh, edified and encouraged by this. So, um, yeah, so so this is going to be a little bit different today because, again, we're, we're a little bit shorter today. So we'll probably spend about 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes in the reading of the word. Um, and I generally start a little bit after eight, but today I'm starting just a little bit early. I'm waiting just a little bit longer just to get everybody here, holding off just a little bit longer, but we want, but I do want to get it right into it. So if you can go into your Bibles to second Samuel 19, guys, this is incredible. Y'all, this is incredible. Um, we are getting to the end of second Samuel. We'll be done with second Samuel this week. So that means now. That we've gone through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. So, so at the end of this week, we're going to be moving into 1 Kings. Guys, this is what I wanted to show you and reveal to you is how you can get through a lot of Bible just with 10 to 20 to 30 minutes a day. Okay, just to, to, to 20 minutes a day. You can get through a lot of scripture. And I believe it's the most important thing any believer can do. Um, I believe that actually a lot of the hurt from the church and a lot of the pain from the church and a lot of people who actually left church, they left church because they never knew the scripture. They actually never knew the Bible. 
They just heard what some pastor told them or they heard what some minister told them or what some preacher told them. And because they took the teaching of the preacher and the pastor and the minister and never really read it for themselves to see what it actually says that they obviously have encountered a lot of hurt and pain. Most of the time what happens is we become sheeples um, who fall astray because we don't spend time in disciplining ourselves in the word. So the most empowering thing you can do is to spend time in the word for yourself. Spend time in the word for yourself. I'm just here to journey with you in that. And I'm just here to share with you whatever the Lord is convicting me. So this is a little bit different. This is not a, um, this is not a, an intellectual endeavor more than it is a spiritual endeavor. And these are the three things that we're going to ask as we engage today. We're going to ask three questions and we're going to be prayerfully asking these three, three questions as we read the scripture. One, God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? Two, what are you revealing concerning people? Three, what are you revealing concerning me? One, what are you revealing concerning yourself? Two, what are you revealing concerning people? Three, what are you revealing concerning me? And let me tell you something, it will open your eyes and it's going to teach you actually how to hear from God in the reading of scripture. So we're going to pray into that and we're going to get right into it. Father, I just thank you. Lord, that you've given us this opportunity to come before you, to, to gather, Lord, from all around the world, to hear your word, to read your word, to partake in your word, to be fed by your word. So, Father, feed us today. Lord, give us revelation, Father. Convict us where we need conviction. Correct us, Lord, where we need correction. Lord, encourage us where we need encouragement. Inform us where we need information. Reveal to us where and the things that we need to be revealed. Father, we pray for revelation. We pray for insight. Lord, as we engage in your word, Lord, do something new today. Do something new today. And we ask that in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. First uh, Samuel chapter 19, and we're going to get right into it. And it says this, and Joab was told, behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard it and said that day, the king is grieved for his son and the people stole back into the city that day as the people who are ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face and the king cried out with a loud voice, Oh, my son, Absalom. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, Today you have disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life, the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines, in that you love your enemies and hate your friends. For you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. Now, therefore, arise, go out and speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night. And that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your mouth until now. And the king arose and sat in the gate. And they told all the people saying, there is the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king. For everyone of Israel had fled to his tent. 
Now all the people were in dispute throughout the, all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines, and now he has fled from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, who we anointed over us, has died in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the king? So King David sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house? Since the words of all Israel have come to the king, to this very house. You are my brethren. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring back the king and say to Amasa, Are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me and more also if you are not commander of the army before me continually in place of Joab. So he swayed the hearts of all the men of Judah just as the heart of one man, so that they sent word to the king, Return, you and all your servants. And the king returned and came to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to go meet the king, to escort the king across the Jordan. And Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, who was from Behurim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his fifteen sons, and his twenty servants with him. And they went over the Jordan before the king. Then the ferryboat went across to carry over the king's household and do what he thought good. Now Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king when he crossed the Jordan. Then he said to the king, Do not let my lord impute iniquity to me, or remember what is wrong your servant did on <clears throat> the day that the Lord my king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Therefore, here I am, the first to come today of all the house of Joseph, to go down to meet my lord the king. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah, that you should be adversaries to me today? Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Therefore, the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king swore to him. Now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. So it was when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle. Oops, let me get this going. We're back. We're back. Um, verse 26. And he answered, My Lord, O king, my servant deceived me, for your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go to the king, because your servant is lame. And he has slandered your servant to my Lord, the king, but my Lord, the king, is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your eyes. For all my father's house were but dead men before my Lord, the king. Yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. Therefore, what right have I still to cry out any more to the king? 
So the king said to him, why do you speak any more of your matters? I have said, you and Ziba divide the land. Then Mephibosheth said to the king, rather let me take it all, inasmuch as my lord the king has come back in peace to his own house. Hmm. And Barzillai, the, the Gileadite, came down to Regulim and came across the Jordan with the king to escort him across the Jordan. Now, Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old. He had provided the king with supplies while he stayed at Mahanaim, for he was a very rich man. And the king said to Barzillai, come across with me and I'll provide for you while you are with me in Jerusalem. But Barzillai said to the king, hold on. And Barzillai said to the king, how long have I to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem. I am today 80 years old. Can I discern between the good and bad? Can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any longer the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be a further burden to my Lord, the king? Your servant will go a little way across the Jordan with the king. And why should the king repay me with such a reward? Please let your servant turn back again that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and mother. But here is your servant, Chimam. Let him cross over with my lord, the king, and do for him what seems good to you. And the king answered, Chimam shall cross over with me, and I will do for him what seems good to you. Now, whatever you request of me, I will do for you. Then all the people went over the Jordan. And when the king had crossed over, the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he returned to his quarrel about the king. <sighs> now, the king went to Gilgal, and Chimam went on with him, and all the people of Judah escorted the king, and also half of the people of Israel. Just then, all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king? his household and all David's men with him across the Jordan. So all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel because the king is a close relative of ours. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we ever eaten at the king's expense or has he given us any gift? And the men of Judah answered the sorry. And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, we have 10 shares in the king. Therefore, we also have more right to David than you. Why then do you despise us? We are not the first to advise. Sorry, were we not the first to advise bringing back our king? Yet the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. We're in Second Samuel chapter 20. And we will stop here. We're going to stop at chapter 20. Well, we'll see where the Lord leads. And there happened to be there a rebel whose name was Sheba, the son of Bikri, a Benjamite. And he blew a trumpet and said, we have no share in David, nor do we have an inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So every man of Israel deserted David and followed Sheba, the son of Bikri. But the men of Judah from the Jordan, as far as Jerusalem, remained loyal to their king. Now David came to his house at Jerusalem. 
And the king took the ten women, his concubines, whom he had left to keep the house and put them in seclusion and supported them, but did not go into them. But they were shut up to the day of their death, living in widowhood. And the king said to Amasa, assemble the men of Judah for me within three days, and I'll be present here yourself. So Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah, but he delayed longer than the set time which David had appointed him. And David said to Abishai, Now Sheba, the son of Bichri, will do us more harm than Absalom. Take your Lord's servant and pursue him, lest he find for himself fortified cities and escape us. So Joab's men with the Cherethites, the Pelethites, and all the mighty men went out after him, and they went out of Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. Then when they were at the large stone, which is in Gibeon, Amasa came before them. Now Joab was dressed in battle armor. On it was a belt with a sword fastening in its sheath at its hips, and he was going forward and it fell out. Then Joab said to Amasa, sorry. Then Joab said to Amasa, are you in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. But Amasa did not notice the sword that was in Joab's hand. And he struck him with it in the stomach and his entrails poured out to the ground. And he did not strike him again. Thus he died. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Bikri. Meanwhile, one of Joab's men stood near Amasa and said, whoever favors Joab and Whoever is for David, follow Joab. Hmm. But Amasa wallowed in his blood in the middle of the highway. When the men saw that all the people stood still, he moved Amasa from the highway of the field and threw a garment over him. When he saw that everyone had came upon him, halted. When he was removed from the highway, all the people went on after Joab to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. And he went through all the tribes of Israel to Abel, to Beth Makkah, and all the Berites. So they were together, gathered, and also went after Sheba. Then they came and besieged him in Abel, in Beth Makkah, and they cast up a siege <clears throat> mound against the city and stood by the rampart. And all the people who were with Joab battered the wall to throw it down. Then a wise woman cried out from the city, Hear, hear, please say to Joab, Come nearby that I may speak with you. When he had come near to her, the woman said, Are you Joab? He answered, I am. Then she said to him, Hear the words of your maidservant. And he answered, I am listening. So she spoke, saying, They used to talk in former times, saying, They shall surely seek guidance at Abel. And so they would end disputes. I am among the peaceable and the faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. Why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? And Joab answered and said, Far be it, far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. That is not so. But a man from the mountains of Ephraim, Sheba the son of Bichri, by name has raised his hand against the king against David, deliver him only, and I will depart from the city. So the woman said to Joab, watch his head will be thrown to you over the wall. Then the woman in her wisdom went to all the people 
And they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and threw it out to Joab. Then he blew the trumpet, and they withdrew from the city, every man to his tent. So Joab returned to the king at Jerusalem. And Joab was all over the army of Israel. Benaiah, the son of Jehudiah, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites. Adoram was in charge of revenue. Jehoshaphat, in the son of Ehilud, was recorder. Shiva was a scribe. Zadok and Abiathar were the priests. And Ira, the, G- the Jirethite, sorry, the Jirite, Jesus, was the chief minister under David. I'm going to read one more chapter, y'all. I'm going to read one more chapter. Now there was famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. Therefore, David said to the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? And with what shall I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said to him, we will have no silver or gold from Saul or from his house, nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. So he said, whatever you say. I will do for you. And they answered the king, As for the man who consumed us and plotted against us, that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the territories of Israel, let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we will hang them before the Lord of Gebeah of Saul, whom the Lord chose. And the king said, I will give them. And the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because the Lord's oath was <clears throat> the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. So the king took Armani and Mephibosheth, the two sons of Rispa, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bore to Saul, and the five sons of Machal, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up from Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Meholthite. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites and they hanged them on the hill before the Lord. So they fell all seven days together and were put to death in the days of the harvest in the seven days in the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, Rispa, the daughter of Aia, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from, be- from the beginning of the harvest until the late rains poured on them from heaven. And she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. And David was told that Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, the concubine of Saul, had done. Then David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Gabesh Gilead, who had stolen them from the street of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hung them after the Philistines had struck down Saul and Gilboa. So he brought up the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from there, and they gathered the bones of those who had been hanged. They buried the bones of Jonathan, Saul, his son, sorry, Saul and Jonathan, his son, in the country of Benjamin and Zela. 
in the tomb of Kish, his father. So they performed all that the king commanded. And after that, God heeded the prayer of the land. Oh, when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines and David grew faint. Then Ishbi Benob, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of those bronze, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. Now it happened afterward that there was again... Oh, hold on. This thing paused again. I'm sorry. I apologize for the pause. I don't know why IG is doing that, but uh, let's go back to verse 17. Actually, we'll, we'll go to 15, and we'll just read these last seven verses. When the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines, and David grew faint. Then Ishbi Benob, who was one of the sons of the giant, and the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. And Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. And the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. Now it happened afterward that there was again a battle between the Philistines at Gob. Then Shibikai, the Hushite, the, sorry, the Hushathite, sorry, the Hushatine. Let me, let me run that back. <laughs> These words are weird. So let me run that back one more time. Now it happened afterward that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob and Sibai, sorry, Sibakai, the Hushathite, killed Saph, who was one of the sons of the giant. Again, there was war at Gob with the Philistines, where Elahan, the son of Jair Oregim, the Bethlehemite killed the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Yet again, there was war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he was also born to the giant. So when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, killed him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. <sighs> Lord, thank you for this opportunity that you've given us, even in these few moments that we're being provided uh, today. Lord, I just pray that you'd bless this time. Lord, speak to us, Lord God. I want to hear from you. I want to be encouraged by you. Amen. Those names at the end were, were rough. <laughs> but my posture has always been, and my posture continues to be, whenever I spend time in reflection and in prayer, my posture is, Lord, what are you saying to me today? What, what, are, you, what are you saying to me? Today, what are you revealing to me today? 
today's going to be a little bit different because I'm not afforded the amount, you know, the, the amount of time that I'm usually afforded. And, and so I don't really have time to break it all down. And if, if this is your first time in our read and rant, I would encourage you to go back and download the read and rant podcast, uh, and catch all the previous episodes up to this because it will give you a bigger picture about what the scripture is about this narrative, what it's all about. If there's anything that you should get from the time that we've been spending is that the book is not really about David. It's actually about God. The book is not about David, but it's about God and his story. It's about God and what he's accomplishing through his people. David is just playing a role in the bigger picture of what God is doing. It's a bigger story. You'll hear me say this over and over again, that, 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 that we're part of a bigger story. This is part of a bigger story. David isn't the hero here. David is the role player here. He's playing a role in fulfilling God's plan and this mission of bringing restoration and reconciliation to the world. And yet even through that story and through that plan, we see things, we see subplots in the general plot. We see subplots in the general plot. Um, there are about five subplots that we read here. And that's why this isn't a, uh, a preaching or a message, just a rant, because I'm just going to speak what really sticks out to me today. That's all I got time for today. I don't have time really to break down every little part of what we read from when he mourned Absalom. And we talked about that yesterday. Uh, um, he, he mourned Absalom. Absalom has created a mess. Absalom has created a mess. And now that Absalom's dead, David is coming back to reclaim his throne and his position. David, in reclaiming his throne, is doing cleanup. This is what we see here. This is what we've been reading, is David is cleaning up the mess that was created by Absalom. This cleanup really came from the fact that, um, um, again, from all the pain and the strife that had, that had occurred in David's family. David was nowhere near perfect, nor was his family perfect. If anything, his family was far from perfect. And yet God was still instituting his plan and his mission through him. It's funny how God doesn't call perfect people, simply people who would come after his own heart. It's funny how God, when he calls people, the favor of God is not on those who got it together. The favor of God is not those who are perfect. The favor of God is not on those who are even the most gifted or the most talented or the most capable. If anything, David was the most ignored. Even his father ignored him as a shepherd boy. David was in the season of, 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 of obscurity, obscurity, not only to the nation of Israel, but obscurity to his own family. David wasn't known. He was just a little shepherd boy. And yet as a little shepherd boy, he, he did the work that was given to him. He learned to cultivate what was given to him, even in his time of, of, of obscurity. And David knew very well what his task and his job was in the, in the context and in the season that he was in. David didn't have a big job, but he took his job very seriously. And even in his job, David faced danger. We, we remember that that David had faced danger even in his job. Um, he was a shepherd boy, but yet he had to go up against the animals in the wilderness to protect the sheep. And it's there that God developed David. David was being developed in his obscurity. I came to tell some people that God develops you in your obscurity. God develops you in your place of obscurity. God will develop you in your place of rejection. 
As a matter of fact, your place of rejection is the opportunity for God to really humble you and submit you to his will. God will take you very slowly through a season of being unknown, unrecognized, unregarded, simply to prepare you and to set you aside for where he's calling you to go. The proof of that is even in my story. Guys, people, you know, if anybody knows, I was not a social media guy. I was not a guy who was out here, you know, trying to put out the messages. I was not someone, I was a person who just simply enjoyed my time in obscurity with the Lord. I, I accidentally started a TikTok. And upon accidentally starting a TikTok, here we are now, right? Where there's almost half a million followers on TikTok. That is not something that I prepared for. It's not something that I strategized for. But God was preparing me in my time of obscurity. You know, the message is always, where did you come from? How come no one has ever known about you? Wait, so where are you? Where are you located? How did this happen? It happens because when you learn to be satisfied in your space of obscurity, God will build you up. He will give you knowledge, wisdom, insight, understanding to prepare you for God wants you to go. Some of us, we want platforms and to be known before God prepares you. And yet God does most of his preparation in our time of isolation and obscurity. David was a shepherd boy. And yet the Lord was preparing him. What was he preparing him for? He was preparing him for a moment. Stay with me, family, because this is where the Lord is leading me today. He was preparing me for a moment. He, he was preparing David for a moment. Sorry. He was preparing David for the moment that he would confront Goliath because there would be a day that would come where the times that he fought those beasts and those animals in the wilderness, he would develop skills, talents, and abilities to be able to overcome what he's about to face. Mm -hmm. You see, David became a slingshotter to protect the sheep that he was given with the little bit that he was given. And yet he took the little bit that he was given and the Lord equipped him and trained him for the big moment. Because it's not about the tools. It's not about the, 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 the skills. It's not about the resources. It's not about the abilities. It's not how many dollars you got. It's about will you be faithful with the little bit that God has given you? If God gives you a rock and a sling, do all you can with the rock and the sling. You don't need a kingdom. You don't need armor. You don't need soldiers. You don't need a title. You don't need, no, no, no. Your training can happen in your obscurity. I find a lot of people despise their small beginnings. And yet it is the small beginning that prepares you for where God is taking you. Stay with me, family, because I only have a few minutes, but this is where, where the Lord is really convicting me here because we see David, mm -hmm, um, um, David, now has taken over a kingdom. He's become king and his becoming king came from a moment. He gained this popularity from a moment. Yes, from a moment. Uh-huh. And now David's kingdom was compromised and yet the Lord preserved it because the Lord had already called him. He was called to be king. And so, and so we see Absalom who now has died, his son, and he mourns Absalom. And then he returns to Jerusalem and he starts cleaning up. He gives mercy to those who deserve mercy because again, it was never about him. It was about something bigger than him. And then we look later on in that same chapter, chapter 19, he gives kindness to Shimei. He gives kindness to Mephibosheth. He gives kindness to Barzillai. And even though there's a quarrel about the king, notice that, that the, the, the ones in the the northern tribes of Israel were contesting against the southern tribes of Judah and the two in Judah were contesting against the ten in Israel and yet they were contesting and yet even, even then they were being reconciled to the fact that all, no matter how much contest is happening between them that David still stands as king over them unifying Israel meaning we don't have to agree to be unified. 
<laughs> um, we don't have to be the same. We have to, we have to just be one. Being one doesn't mean we agree on anything. Being one is being identified as one under a larger banner, under a bigger banner. That's another conversation for another day. But then David's still cleaning up mess because then there's Sheba. He sends Joab to go after Sheba. Stay with me, family. After he sends Joab to go after Sheba, um, they bring Sheba back, right? Cut off his head. Through, um, his head was cut off and then they threw him over. I'm rushing through this because I want to, I want you to get to this. I want to get to this final point. David goes from shepherd boy to king to being exiled from being a king to not being restored back to his kingship, being restored back to his position. Stay with me, family, being restored back to his position. In chapter 21, we see this avenging of justice for the Gibeonites, which is another conversation. There's so much to unpack there, but that's not what I want to talk about, actually. I actually want to talk about those last seven verses that we just read. And the one verse that sticks out to me in chapter 20, 21 is actually the last verse in that text. These four were born to the giant of Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. David goes from shepherd boy. He overcomes a giant catapults into popularity, becomes king. And then when his position was taken away, he's being restored back into his role. And there we find David again in the position where he's slaying giants. What sticks out to me in this text, what the Lord is slapping me with today, is that it says that these four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David. You know, there was a question that I'd asked myself years ago. And it was always hard to put an answer to it because there, there isn't really a clear answer. Just want to give, make sure I put that out there. There isn't a clear answer. But in the encounter that David has with Goliath, I never really understood why David took five smooth stones. It never really, I, I always wrestled with that. Why did David take five smooth stones? Did David not trust in his aim? Was David just making sure he had, you know, five stones, maybe five? You know, I've heard theologians say five is the number of grace. And so this represented grace. But again, that, that's, that's stretching, right? We're stretching. It still doesn't answer the question. Why in that moment? Did David choose five smooth stones? Now, I don't have the answer to that. But what I do know, and this is what the Lord is convicting me of today, I don't have the answer to that. 
But what I do know is that it was important that we know, we know that. How do we know that? Because it's in the scripture. The scripture could have said he just took a couple stones, put it in his bag, went out and confronted the giant Goliath. Yes, he killed him with the first one. David, since he was a shepherd boy in obscurity, was well equipped. David knew how to aim. David knew how to kill beasts with the slingshot. David was well prepared. He didn't need five smooth stones to kill Goliath. No, not when he's not when he has the spirit of God with him, not when he's confident in who God has called him to be, not when David. No, no, no. David just needed one. He just needed one for Goliath. And I look back and I ask myself the question. Why five? Why not six? Why not eight? Why not three? Why not 20? Why did he grab five? And why did the scriptures say five? Now, um, it is, you know, asserted that, you know, five is just a common number, right? Five is just a common number. Just grab five smooth stones. It was a common thing. If, you, if you've got stones and a sling, you just grab five stones and you take it. But the scriptures did find it necessary to say five. And, and again, I just... I'm working through that. I'm working through that. Because David did take five stones. And David struck Goliath with one. And what David had left were four stones. Hmm. And in this last verse, we see in verse 22. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. There were four stones remaining. And yet there were four who were born to Goliath. It wasn't just Goliath. But the giants were a dying breed at that time. And among the giants was Goliath. But Goliath had four sons. Coincidence, maybe. But never coincidence in the scriptures. I want to make sure everybody understands that. Never is there coincidence in the scriptures. Nothing is coincidence. Everything matters. Everything matters. The four stones that David had in his hand that remained, that is the grace of God. Because what David prepared to get him into the position that he was in will now be the four stones that restore him to the position that he was called to. Because there are four giants that were still left over, and yet it isn't coincidence that upon David being restored at the throne that he's being confronted with four giants. 
because there's a remnant that was left over. Hmm. It matters. It's in the story because it matters. It's in the story because it matters. This is not saying, well, the reason why David took the five stones is because of the four descendants. No, it isn't because that isn't true. However, the Bible says it was important to know that David did take five stones because what David had acquired in that season of victory was enough for, to sustain David in his season of defeat. And for many of us today, I think we need to hear that message. That what got us out before is just enough to get us out today. God gave David just enough then to get through what he's going through now. What you're going through then is enough to get you through what you're going through now. Your victory in the past is enough to sustain you and to give you hope in the present. The victory that was accomplished then was enough today because the grace of God who's moving through your life has given you this life, not for your glory and not for your pleasure and not for you, but it was for his glory to be manifest through you. The victory was, it was never about David. It was always about David's faithfulness to God and the grace of God in his life because David didn't get here by his own ability. He got here by the spirit of God. And there's some of us that forget what God did in our season when we had gotten out, thinking that it was our power, it was our ability, it was our capacity, and yet God gave you more than to hold on to for what you're confronting now. Because there are giants that you will confront today. And yet there are descendants of those giants that you will confront later on. And yet what God gave you today is enough for what you're going to go through tomorrow. Ah, 30 years later, David sees the remnant of the four stones. And no, he did not use the four stones to defeat these four giants. As a matter of fact, he got help, but God gave him just enough in his victory then to sustain David today. The grace of God, when he says he gives grace for grace, he doesn't give you a grace in a moment. He gives you the grace for all time. He doesn't forgive you of your sins in a moment. He forgives your sins of your past, present, and future. He doesn't give you something to sustain you just now, to overcome just now. He gave you in that moment everything you needed to be sustained in the days to come. Yes, when you overcame that addiction then, he gave you the power to overcome the addiction today.
when he gave you that stone to overcome the wiles of the devil, that anxiety that almost killed you, that almost suffocated you, that kept you from doing what God called you to do. And then now here you are confronted with the fact that you have overcome those attacks of the enemy. God is saying, I've given you just enough then, and what I gave you then is just enough for you now. What was good then is good now. What was good then is good now. And maybe what happens now looks bigger than what was then. But the reality is, is God gave you just enough then to sustain you now. He's giving you just enough power then to sustain you now. He's given you just enough grace then to sustain you now. And maybe what you're asking God for, he's already given to you. The question is, do you believe and trust what God gave you then? Yes, that time when you gave your life to Christ and all of a sudden you had this newfound desire in him, a newfound relationship in him, a new desire in him. And all of a sudden, all the things that you hated, you hated, you you couldn't stand. And the things that you love now, now, now you began to have a relationship with God and you wanted to cultivate this relationship with God. You had this desire for God, this want for God, that even the things that you knew weren't good, now you started to hate. And then all of a sudden life begins to hit you and mistakes happen along the way. And now you find yourself in a place saying, why am I confronted? with an even greater addiction why am i confronted with all these battles and what god is saying to you is he's saying i gave you some stones then that were just enough for you to make it through now when you are weak then he is strong his grace is sufficient i gotta go fam but i want to encourage you his grace is sufficient Father, I ask in this moment, Lord, that there are those of us today, Lord, who are being confronted with giants. Lord, be it financial, be it emotional, be it health-wise. Father, there are those of us right now who are being confronted with, with giants. Yet, Lord, you told us not to forget our benefits. Forget not the benefits, the things that you have done. So, Father, I pray that you would take each and every one of us back to our place of victory in you. Lord, the overcoming that we had encountered, that we would experience the overcoming then and to know that it was sufficient for us now. Father, teach us to trust in your grace, to know, Lord, that you are in control, that you are guiding all things, directing us in all things. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen.